0: Same amen. Alrighty. On the stage with me today, maybe you've noticed him not. kind of hiding there behind the mic stand or by the, behind the music stand. Um, Dave Ivy, one of the pastors here. And um, so when we started Polaris in 1999, one of the things we used to do, because we had like five teaching pastors is do tag team sermons and I used to really enjoy that and so I want to bring that back some. Uh, Dave Ivey up here today tell us a little bit about yourself and how you fit here at Polaris.
1: Well I'm Dave Ivey I'm the youth pastor at Polaris. I also do some stuff in men's uh, ministry and yeah so I'm a big kid. I love kids and teenagers. It's a good time.
0: Okay um, and obviously I appreciate you what you bring to Polaris. Thrilled to have you here. We all are. And so, um, we are walking through the book of Matthew. If you're new to Polaris, we started last September. Matthew's one of the Gospels, the biography of Jesus. And we're walking through to learn more about Jesus' teachings, about his example of life, because we want to follow Jesus. We don't want to just believe the right stuff about him. We want to do the things that he does, live out his teachings, put them into practice in our life. This is easy to say. But as we're going to talk about today and the kind of material that we're talking through today, it can be very difficult to actually do this, but that's why we're reading the book of Matthew. So we've come to Matthew 18, which is a chapter, uh, there's there's a few different pieces in this section of scripture, some in Matthew 18, some in chapter 20, we're going to talk about both of them today, that have to do with kind of like a, a child kind of theme, especially Matthew 18. Um... Next week, Gary Porter from the Christian Children's Home of Ohio, which is an orphanage in Worcester. Uh, he has built a legacy there like none other. Incredible work going on down there, and he's a great communicator and just an amazing man. And I mean that, I'm not just trying to sell it. He's awesome. Um, he's going to be here next week to share his heart for families and children. And um, tell you a little bit about what God is doing down that way. I really want to encourage you to try to get here next week. And I, Again, I'm not just saying that. The reason I picked him to come here is because the man is just living out Isaiah 58. And we have a lot that we can learn from Gary Porter. So he's going to be here. But this week, we're going to get that idea of children started. So having Dave up here, I went to Dave a couple weeks ago and said, Dave, I want you to pick the direction. I want you to look at Matthew 18 and tell me where we're headed as we tag team this. And Dave looked at this and he really seemed to come away with a parenting kind of theme, which isn't necessarily the first thing that comes to mind. And what you might be wondering is, Dave, you don't even have kids. Why are you looking at this Matthew 18 thing and seeing themes of parenting? So on behalf of all of us, I will ask you that question
1: well this picture might give you some answers
0: (laughs) and (laughs) and based on Dave's size what I can tell you is that fetus there is life that's a life-size picture
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) we're worried about the head already Uh, but um, Jacqueline is, is 10 weeks pregnant and uh, she is due on January 17th of 2013 uh, and uh, I do apologize to, to both Allie and Billy who have been for some reason new and have been asking me for, for two months now so you were right, she was pregnant they were three at your graduation party so.
0: well congratulations and uh, we're really excited for you um, we're going to talk about Matthew 18 and, and about parenting and I, I think Dave brings a unique perspective as we talk about this this morning. Now, I have two boys, four and seven, and some of the idealism of parenting has been beaten out of me. Uh, <laughs> but for Dave, pre-2 a.m. nights, um, I, I, I think we can learn a lot from the idealism um, before those things kind of buff out, you know. So, so we'll, we'll talk through this. Uh, but to get things started... Um, any parents that you would lift up or that stand out to your mind
1: as as extraordinary parents? Well, I'm a TV guy. I love TV shows. But my favorite TV parent is the Hus- you know, the Huskables. Anyone? Yeah. Anybody? Yeah. For what show? Now, yeah. how How's many, many
0: of you grew up watching the Cosby Show? How many of you... Are too young to know about the Cosby Show? Anybody that? Yeah, you yeah. guys are like that's that show that's on Nick at Night, syndicated. <laughs> what? Um, and some of you probably watched your kids watch the new episodes of of the Cosby Show. So anyway, we got the gamut of generations yeah. here.
1: You got the Tanners. Any you guys know the Tanners from Full House? Um, you know, Danny's the best. You know, every every time talking them down. I like that. I'm, I'm a big fan of the Winslow. Wendell Lowe's from Family Matters and their adopted son Erkel, and um, nothing can save family like the Simpsons. And me and my mom
0: used to watch the Simpsons every Thursday when my dad bowled. We watched it for the moral at the end of the at the end of the show. For me, the the TV family was the Keatons um, and Family Ties, and and I think the reason that I resonated with them had nothing to do really with their hippie parents. But it was the, um, it was Alex. There just weren't, when I was growing up, before I brought the name back, there weren't many people named Alex. Like, I didn't have any kids in my school, so everyone would call me Alex P. Keaton just because that was the only Alex anybody knew, and for some reason they felt the need to call me that. I don't think I bore any resemblance to Michael J. Fox. Uh, so anyway, uh, talking about parents, and um, we're going to take a look now at Matthew 18, and, and I really want to challenge you to think through when we share this, because i got to tell you, and I mean this, more than I expected, um, this sounds kind of bad, but more than I expected, this passage and the preparing for this talk has affected me. Um, and so I want to challenge you, first of all, if you are a parent, or a soon-to-be parent, to think through the implications of this stuff with parenting. But maybe you have no children in your life. We still have to, th- even if you do have children in your life, we still have to think through this as it relates to following Jesus, because it's a very powerful teaching moment in the teachings and life of Jesus. So um, this, this should affect you. No matter where you're at. It has certainly affected me. Okay. So Matthew 18. If you have this Bible. Which are on ends of rows. And things like that. It would put it on page 688. I believe. 18.1. At that time. The disciples came to Jesus and asked him, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, there's a fascinating thing happening here, I think, and it's where you really see the personality of the authors of Scripture. So, if you look at Luke, who's telling the same story, he gives more detail. And what he says is really happening here is that there is a fight that has broken out among the disciples so there are the twelve disciples who Jesus has called out and set apart as leaders he's poured his life into them and now there is a fight that is broken out over who is the greatest first of all um, you see the personalities here because Matthew was one of those twelve disciples Luke wasn't Luke was an outsider who got his information secondhand. So you see the outsiders saying, yeah, these guys were fighting for Matthew. Oh, we just posed a question. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So I really think you see the personalities and the history of the authors coming out here in the differences of the accounts. But also what's going on here, uh, there's drama in that Jesus is nearing the end of his earthly ministry. Now, you remember in Matthew 17, Uh, We talked a a couple weeks ago about the transfiguration and how in Matthew's gospel there's all this question over the identity of Jesus. And there's this moment on the mountain when Jesus becomes uh, the, the, the physical symbolic appearance of the God of the universe where God then speaks from heaven and there's the cloud of God's glory that descends on the mountain. And he says, this is my son, listen to him. And, and so there, there's this great moment of, of, of fullness and clarity. And Jesus, after that point, it says Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. And what that means is that after this moment, Jesus is now on his way to be crucified. So we're nearing the end of Jesus' ministry. Every moment is important. He's invested in these men. They're going to take over the cause once he's gone and a fight breaks out over a silly thing like who's going to be the greatest. So this is not a good time in Jesus' ministry, and there's lots of drama here in this moment. But it also says these guys were following Jesus in the flesh for years and still struggled. So if you're new in your faith and frustrated that you're not growing enough, realize that it takes a lot of time because these were guys that were with Jesus personally for years and still we're struggling to grasp even the most common elements in the spiritual kingdom world. Okay. Verse 2. <laughs> he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such, one such child in my name welcomes me. So Jesus, this horrible moment, the disciples are fighting, and you know what they're thinking about when they think about greatness in God's kingdom. They're thinking about you know, governmental positioning because that's what they thought about when they thought about God's kingdom. But Jesus has a character kingdom about lifestyle and cause. And, and there's this argument, and Jesus pulls this little child who is the lowest of the low in that culture. And he says, if you want to be great, here's what you're really shooting for, a child. And so there are a lot of things that we need to think about in our own character and what the greatness that we pursue in the example that Jesus, which is an upside-down example, they're thinking of greatness up here. Jesus says, no, greatness is down there. Dave. What do you hear when you see Jesus explain true greatness?
1: You know, when you're talking about the greatness of a child and some characteristics of children that make them great, uh, one right off the bat is their pure joy. I mean, I don't think of anyone who can look at a child and not just smile when a child is smiling at you. And so children are just pure joy. Uh, another thing is they trust Anybody. You see a toddler all the time run up to a complete stranger and give him a hug until we kind of che- train them that, hey, there's a stranger and there's a person you know. But they just trust everyone. It's just a natural, inborn just thing. Um, and they want to be helpful. They, uh, children want to help. And, you know, I was a kid. I, I used to try to help my mom vacuum with my little toy one, plastic one. And one day she put the real vacuum in my hands. I'm like, oh, okay. And I enjoyed it. I, I continue vacuum to this day. But, uh, I mean, we just, kids just want to help. Um, and lastly, there's just this unconditional love that comes from a child that just, they just love you. And it's, it's amazing. And and the cool thing is, as a youth pastor here, I get to see these characteristics grow in in, in teenagers because they're still there, even though the the world's trying to change them a little bit. I mean, children's children, teenagers find joy in small things like donuts and juice before SMT or, 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 or just small things in general. Um, Students trust, and, and it's important that students trust because as you build their trust, which is something that we try to do, our small groups leaders and myself, uh, to build trust with teenagers, because as we're telling them about Christ and, and our experience with Jesus, they need to trust us that we're telling them the right things. Um, they want to help. Teenagers want to do something that's bigger than themselves. And one of the cool examples of that is every couple months, the Wences have us do um, peanut butter jelly sandwiches for the Stark County veterans, uh, the homeless veterans. And last time we did like 10 loaves of, of bread of, of sandwiches. And it's just cool to see them just, and they took like 20 minutes out of the day and it was done. But you can tell they really enjoyed being a part of something bigger. Um, and the big one of the biggest things in a, in a teenager is, is love, and more importantly towards their peers because – it's amazing. And the greatest example of that I've seen was a couple of weeks ago when the four kids of Brunswick passed. Uh, it was amazing to go to these wakes and these funerals and see this, this outpouring of absolute love uh, towards their friends and the families that lost loved ones. And, and it was amazing. Um, but this world tries to tell us that things are greater that, than these children's desires and thoughts. And, and a couple of things that I've really pulled out is. You know, the world wants to tell us that power is the greatest. You know, you want to achieve power, but a child has no concept of power. Uh, You know, a kid has no clue what power is. But our world's telling us that we need to strive for power and strive for rank and things. Another thing is children really don't care about money, where it comes from, and who's making it. Uh, where us in this world, we're, we're always thinking, well, who, who's making the most money in our neighbors or our, our own uh, friends at work? And money is just really useless to a kid because a kid has no value in cash. And there's no jealousy there because they don't know what money is. And another, a very important thing is we live in a world of stuff. Uh, there's a there was an HH Greg commercial about think mean, 2 or 3 years ago where the the tagline was the guy with the most stuff wins and for a kid it doesn't matter stuff just doesn't matter they don't i mean as long as they're being taken care of and they're happy uh, they don't have to use stuff as a ranking file Oh, i have the nicest car i got the newest apple product they just don't care and 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 these kind of characteristics in a child i really think is what jesus was saying you know, why they're the greatest of them. They don't They don't need the power. They don't need the money. They don't need the, you know, the stuff. They just, they're just pure. I,
0: generally speaking, when I'm journaling, I'm growing. When I'm not journaling, I'm not growing. And what that means for me is if I'm writing out, taking time, a few times a week at least, to sit down and say, okay, here's a part of my character that I want to see. How am I doing here? Where, you know, correcting the mistakes, reviewing the day, things like that. When I do that, I grow. But if you were to look at my journals over the past years, over all those spiral notebooks, what you probably wouldn't see at all is, okay, am I becoming more like a child? Um, I tend to journal around, okay, was I a better leader? How am I doing as a leader? How am I, you know, Those kinds of things uh, which aren't necessarily the qualities that Jesus is pointing out. I mean, there's just a big difference between the kinds of things these disciples would have been arguing about for greatness, and then there's this amazing moment when Jesus pulls this little kid up and says, here's your example. Uh, that would have been a very, very powerful moment, and that—I mean that's our example. And if we follow Jesus, we have to take it very, very seriously. Okay, we're going to move over to Matthew chapter 20, Verse 20, it's on page 690, if you have a green Bible. And this is another parenting moment between a mom and her kids. Jesus has something to say about it. And, um, and we have to remember that the disciples may very well have been 16. So still in those formative stages of life, uh, a lot of times when we think about the disciples and even in art, they're depicted as, you know, old men following Jesus. But really, might have looked like this front two rows here, front three rows here, um, hanging around with, with a 30-year-old guy as his disciples. Okay, so... It <coughs> says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons... So Zebedee was the dad. His sons were James and John. There were 12 disciples, two of which were brothers named James and John. So the mom came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Now let me talk about the, um, uh, some of the implications of this. So you got a mom, and, and in Jesus' day and time, they thought in terms of God's kingdom as a government system that was an eternal, forever kind of blessed government system here on earth. And what this mom is asking, by saying right and left, is one of the most symbolic um, manifestations of power, was where you sat at the table. So, head of the and it's kind of like that now, in that typically the patriarch figure sits at the head of the table with thanksgiving typically, right? Grandpa sits at the head of the table if Grandpa's around. Um, In that day and time, it was absolute. Most powerful person sat in the prominent seat, and number one, or number two, and number three in the organization, whatever it was, family, business, whatever, government, right, left, two, and three. So what this mom is doing is she's saying, I want you to make my sons number two and number three in the eternal kingdom of God. No small request, right? But... I have to say as a parent that my number one prayer for my boys is, God, please make my children great in your kingdom. Um, You don't know what... This is verse 22. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I drink? Can you go through the things that I'm going to go through? We can, they answered, and Jesus says, You will indeed drink from my cup, go through the things that I'm going through, uh, the, the sacrifice and pain and agony and things. But to sit at my right hand and my left, to have those positions of authority, these places belong to those for whom uh, they have been prepared for by my Father. When the ten other disciples heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. So we have a fight over power again in the same vein of Scripture. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, the people outside of God's kingdom, Lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. In other words, power is a big deal to outsiders. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. How counter is that to the way we think? Yet it's a teaching of Jesus. Just as the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what Jesus is doing again here is he's taking a fight in an argument. And he's saying, you guys concerned about greatness are thinking about greatness in wrong ways. Now, are there any parents here who think about their children and don't want great things for their children? I hope no hands go up. I mean, we all want our kids to be great, and we spend our time thinking about greatness in our kids and trying to instill greatness into our kids. But sometimes we are not intentional around what Jesus is calling greatness. So two quick things, and I'm going to hand it back over to you, Dave. This Two things are true of me as a parent right now, just extra on my heart. Number one... The passage of time is starting to hit me very, very hard. Okay? I am now as close to 50 as I am to 20. And I remember 20 like it was yesterday. It went by fast. So in the same amount of time, I'm at 50. Not there's anything wrong with being 50. Phil, nothing wrong with being 50. (laughs) Um, Tomorrow? Wednesday, okay. I'm kidding, he's not really 50. I do that every year, you guys should be picking up on that. Every year for the past five years, I said, Phil is 50 this week. Um, so, but anyway, uh, nothing wrong with being 50, but at 50, you're, you're oftentimes, well, at 50, I will be done, I need to be careful how I say that, at 50, I will be done with the, I hope, with the formative stages of parenting, okay, I hope. <clears throat> um, when I'm 50, my boys are probably out of the house. I'm seriously not saying this for funny, okay? These next 10 years, 10 years from now, um, my sons will be 14 and 17, and the parenting that shapes their lifelong values, their worldview, will be done. Not that it's not an ongoing, you know, maintenance, but, but the parenting, the proactive, intentional parenting that shapes the worldview of your child, these next 10 years are a big deal for me. And I know how fast time is going. And I, you know, I say it. There's always this thing I do with dieting before vacation. You know, I got, I got three months left. I got time. I got two months left. I got time. I got four weeks left. I can do Atkins and lose 10 pounds. And then it's, I got a few days left. I'm going to Burger King. You know, it doesn't matter. I guess I better focus on a tan, because fat tan looks better than, than fat pasty. Um, <coughs> but I don't want that to be true with my parenting. I don't want to get to well. They're 12. I still got a couple years left. Well, they're 13. I, I mean, I want to take these next 10 years and really pour into them. But I already have the temptation of the two competing worldviews because as my kids play sports and as they're in school, I see the temptation of making sure my kids are dressed right with the right clothes and the right brands and wanting Spencer to be, you know, know how to catch pop-ups right and how to hit with with bat speed and and, you know, maintain power in his swing and things like that. And, and to be honest with you, I've been more intentional about correct pop-up technique in baseball than I have about pure kingdom greatness, and that's not good. Um, I don't have time left with my boys to be that far off in parenting. i got to get the first things first. Now, Dave, idealist parent, you're going to be perfect <laughs> You will never make a parenting decision to bring peace in the house. It will always be intentional, values-based parenting. As you look at this passage, what do you see?
1: Well, you know, to start off, there's a, uh, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Stephen uh, Covey, and he wrote a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And within this book, there's a theme of big rocks, and, and it's basically a, a story of a group of business uh, college-aged kids who were at the top of their, their, their class, and he brings this mason jar into this room. puts the mason jar in the front of the room and fills it with these big rocks and says, is this full? And of course they go, oh yeah, yeah, that's full. And they go, so he brings out a thing of, of, of like gravel. Pours the gravel and lets it shake to the, the bottom and says, is this full now? And they go, oh, we were not sure. He's like, okay. Brings out the sand. Pours the sand on top of uh, all the stuff and it shakes down through. And he goes, is this fool now? And they go, well, no. He's like, you're on the right track now. Brings a pitcher of water and pours it in. So he sits there with these kids, and he says, okay, so what's what do you get out of this object? What, what am I trying to tell you through this? And one kid you know, raises his hand and says, says, well, the point is to him is that no matter how full our schedules get, if we really try hard, we can always fit something more into it. And he said, no, that's that's not the point of this lesson. The point is... If you don't put the first, the big rocks in first, you will never get them in at all. And there's some big rocks kind of things that I would love to make sure I pass on to my kids. And, and one of those things are I want to teach them to be disciples of Christ. I want them to, you know, to know, know the Bible and know how to apply it to their lives. I don't want to just, when I was a kid, the Bible was kind of thrown to me and said, hey, learn it. And it was, I was completely lost. So that's one of the stones I want to put in first. Another one is discipline, and not just discipline in, in reading His Word or, or journaling or, or, or whatever, but you know, discipline in life and self-control. Because I think that's very important in, in an age that doesn't really teach that. Um, another rock I'd like to put in there is the idea of service. You know, I think service is is huge. It's the biggest you know biggest part of the ministry. You know, look at Jesus. Jesus came here to to serve, not be served. And I would love just to put that rock in there too, saying, I want to teach my kids to serve. And one of the the, the bigger bigger ones is, is the sacrifice. You know, Jesus sacrificed his life for our forgiveness of sins. And you know I want to teach them to sacrifice themselves and, and sacrifice stuff for others as well.
0: Okay, well let me let me ask you one more thing. Um on your last day as you think about a life of parenting ahead of you.
1: What do you hope, above all else, is true of you as a parent? Well, I I really want to put my children (coughs) before my career. Um, I want to put my children before money and finances. I want to put my children before my golf handicap, which is horrible. Um, I want to put my children even before church. You know, church is... Important to me and important to my wife, but sometimes church kind of gets in the way of the actual discipling of your child, and I want to make sure I get that to them. And, and, and here's the deal: here's something I've learned as a as an adult. You know, we all plan for, for success. We're taught from from late high school on through college that we need a plan to succeed. You know, there's there's weekly goals, there's five year plans, there's ten year plans. I, mean, I remember being a senior in high school and said, "What do you where do you see yourself in ten years?" And I never had the answer, um, but. I would like, kind of switch that around? I would like my weekly plan is that every every day during the week, I want to be praying with my child. You know, my, my five- and ten-year plan, I want it to be me sitting down with them and showing them what it means to be a servant for Jesus' kingdom. And, and those are the things that I want to see done in, in my child's life. Um, <laughs> it's more important to me that my child grows up with Christ-like character and as the best football player or athlete there is. It's more important to me that they know to love Jesus and know his Bible than having the best GPA or being on the honor roll. And don't get me wrong, academics and athletics are important. I mean, I I played football for 10 years and loved it, but God's priorities are here, and I want to reach for those priorities. One of the things that Dave said as we worked on this this
0: past week is, um, I never thought about it, I've never heard a parent say, yeah, we have a 10-year plan to make our son the best servant around. Um, it's never that. I, I, I never would think about that, but here Jesus says, the number one characteristic of greatness, the number one value in God's kingdom, servanthood. Um, and yet, I've, uh, you know, I've heard a lot of people say they want a lot of things true of their kid. Never once have I said, boy, I just hope he becomes this amazing servant. So um, something, something to think about. Uh, now, Example isn't the main thing, it's the only thing. So whether we have children or whether we are seen by children, it's our responsibility to model this kind of behavior as followers of Jesus for children to see. Okay, I want to close. Um, we're going to do prayer time in a minute for everybody, but I want to pray for Dave and Jacqueline, for parents here today, uh, together for your uh, pregnancy. Father, thank you so much for the news. Um, thank you for uh, the little girl that grows inside of Jacqueline. I'm kidding. They don't know that yet. Um, thank you so much for that new life. And we know that you are knitting that baby boy or girl together in, in right now, every day. And um, we pray that, that you would bless their family. Um, we pray for health and long life and greatness in your kingdom. Um, Thank you for the example that they already are and for this tremendous blessing that you are giving them and us as a church family. And I pray for all of us as parents um, that we would take very seriously the entrustment. You have entrusted us with your child or your children. Please help us to parent them with wisdom and conviction and around kingdom principles. Help us to parent them toward true greatness, not anything less that this world may convince us is important.